Hello, and welcome to How to Beat Your Kids at Board Games. We're glad you're listening, and you're in for a treat. A quick announcement before we get started. The episode you're about to hear was among the first we recorded, back when our only recording equipment was the Humble Voice Memos app on the still humbler iPhone 6S. Thus, while we are proud of the content, we realize that the sound quality may not be the best. If you find the episode hard to listen to for this reason, we recommend checking out one of our later episodes, starting with episode 6, Battleship Blitz, in which we had acquired our state-of-the-art podcasting microphones. In any case, we do hope that at some point, when you have a bit more peace and quiet, you'll come back and listen to this one. We're sure you'll love it. All right, enough chit-chat, let's get to the episode. Hello, everybody. This is John. And this is Dan. And we are here today to talk to you about how to beat your kids at board games. Last time, we talked about Monopoly. We told you some strategies to get the most bang for your buck in that classic game. And Dan, what are we going to be talking about today? Today, we are going to be talking about Parcheesi, also known as the classic game of India. So first, uh, before we get into actual gameplay, we're going to go over a little bit of the origins of this awesome game. So while the West, we in the West, or wherever you're listening to, you might not be in the West, uh, but here it's known as Parcheesi, uh, but the game has ancestry in India under the name Pachisi, uh, similar enough, uh, but that game has an ancestor called Chaupar. And a fun little anecdote about this guy is the Mughal Emperor Akbar uh, sorry, Star Wars fans, that's A-K-B-A-R. Uh, actually played this game, uh, this ancestor of Parcheesi, with real people uh, in his garden. Uh, so if you ever get to the point where uh, you have so many friends where they would just play a game of Parcheesi and be your pawns, uh, then you are kind of ballin'. Of course, uh, Emperor Akbar uh, played with members of his harem. So don't do that. But, uh, yeah, and uh, Parcheesi also has some variants in uh, the West as well, as, as well as other uh, parts of the world. So in the U.S. here we have Aggravation, uh, just a game called India. And uh, you may have played Sorry as a kid, or Trouble. And, uh, you know, in Germany we've got Der Weg zur Herberge. United Kingdom we've got Pigaback, Homeward Bound, Patcheesi, and Ludo. Anyway, uh, so all these variants are really cool, but today we're just going to talk about Parcheesi um, in its classic form. So without further ado, let's get started. All right, and uh, you know, Parcheesi at first seems like a simple game because all you do is uh, roll dice and you know move your pieces up. But there are several uh, several mechanics, several rules introduced in the game that make your choice a lot more difficult. So we're going to talk a little bit about those. Um, I think we're going to start off with one forced moves yeah so uh actually these ones make your decision easier because uh so a few things with forced moves one you have to make a move if possible you can't pass like you can in some games um when you roll fives you have to enter a pawn uh if possible and let's well why don't you just let's back up let's give, back give up. me a little terminology what do you mean by entering a pawn all right so 
Uh, first of all, uh, like we say on all of our podcasts, um, if you have if you are unfamiliar with this game, you should probably like go look it up or like play a game or two with someone uh, before you listen to our podcast. Because while we do go through the rules, um, you know, I think you'll get a lot more out of it if you've actually had a chance to play it yourself. And we aren't going through all the rules either. You know, right. we're not going to sit here and tell you exactly what what's going on because that would just take too long. Right. So just kind of the noteworthy things that like even if you played a game or two, if you didn't read the instructions carefully, you may have played it wrong. So I know uh, I have. Yeah, yeah. We definitely, I mean, looking at these, we've definitely played these wrong too. So first we're going to talk about forced moves. Um, so, And that so, would just be any move where, say, you roll something on the die, on the dice, you have to take a particular action, right? Exactly. Uh, so everybody starts off the game with four pawns in their starting area. And to get onto the board, you must roll a five. Now this is either one of your dice shows five and you roll two dice, uh, or the sum of the two dice is five. So a two and a three, for example. Um, so yeah, if you roll a five on one of your dice, then you must use that five to move a pawn out. And this uh, applies even when, even once you have pawns on the board, right? It's not just exactly. in the beginning of the game. Exactly. So let's say you have three of your pawns out on the board and you roll a five and you would like to move one of your pawns out on the board five spaces. Well, it turns out you can't. You have to take the one that's in your start and you have to get it out onto the board with that five. Um, so another corollary to this is um, if you have a pawn already on your starting space, so that is the space on the board right outside your starting area, you like if you roll double fives, you can't move that guy five spaces and then move two more of your pawns out. You can only move. Or well, you just move one out because yeah, you, you, you have to. But, yeah. You have to move. You can only use one of those fives. You can't. You can't use them both. And um, you forfeit your second five. You forfeit your second it's five. Kind of an edge case. It's it's not something yeah. that's going to happen often. And so right. they have a specific rule just for this scenario. Exactly. And that is something that I and many friends have played wrong until this very day when we were looking this up. So. Um, consider yourself educated. We weren't looking this up the day of, by the no, way. We were doing this research not. weeks before. Yeah. I, yeah. I've, at, I've been eating, at least, sleeping, and breathing. At Archie's least the eat. night before, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So, speaking of doubles, um, Parcheesi calls them doublets, and uh, we don't actually know why that is, why every other game seemingly known to man calls them doubles, but here they're called doublets. But here's something cool you need to know about doublets. So if you, first of all, if you still have pawns in your starting area, uh, doublets are just the same as any other role. Namely, you can take one pawn and move it, let's say you roll double twos, one pawn and move it two, and another pawn and move it two, or you can move one pawn four, the sum of those two. Uh, and the only special thing about doubles in that case is you get to roll again uh, if you roll doubles. Now, if you have all of your pawns out on the board and you roll doublets, here's where it gets cool. You get to use both the tops and the bottom of the dice. So let's, you, let's say you rolled double six. You have six, six, one, and one uh, that you can move. And you can split it any way you want between uh, your 
four pawns out on the board, of course, as long as it's a six, a six, a one, and a one, and not like a four and a three or something like that. And an interesting thing here is if you can't use the whole 14, that's what any combination will get if you roll doubles. Um, the tops and the bottoms will always add up to 14. So if you can't use the whole 14, you can't use any of them. You've just got to roll again. Right, and so an easy way to remember, like you said, is uh, mm -hmm. if you roll double level ones, the other side has to add up to 14, or each side has to, each die has to add up to seven. So one, one six, two is paired with five, three, mm -hmm. and, three and four. That's an easy way to remember it. Exactly. And so final note on doublets, if you roll three in a row, you really, really don't want to do this, by the way. Uh, not only do you lose the rest of your turn, uh, so you you can't roll you can't move that doubles uh, the third time you roll it, but you also have to take your farthest advanced pawn, no matter where it is, unless it's already in home, and you have to move it back into your starting area. So this applies even if you're on the safe zone, which we'll talk about later, or or if you're on a safety space, which we will also talk about later. So really don't want to roll three doubles in a row. Not that you can help it. Um, but just keep that in mind. And granted, you know, you got about a 1 in 200 chance of doing that. So yeah. <laughs> it's not going to come up too often, but hey, it might happen to someone. It might happen to someone, and you need to laugh in their face when it does. Because if it happens to them, it probably won't happen to you in the same game. That's so. just false. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, can get, we can talk about that another time. It, it's, it's equally <laughs> likely whether it happens to your friend or not. But anyway, uh, so another, so there's a, a couple more rules we want to go to through. Uh, blockades is our next one. So this is a fun one. Uh, actually, I skipped one. So there's three more. So, uh, but let, let's talk about blockades. I'm first. seeing that you skipped two. Oh my! Skip both captures and safety spaces. Okay, so let's talk about captures. Yeah, captures are a big one. Okay, so uh, simple enough. If you make a roll and one of your pawns can exactly land on your opponent's pawn with that roll uh, you can capture your opponent's pawn um, with an asterisk we'll get into that in a second uh, and when you do you get a free 20 spaces for any of your pawns out on the board to move so what you do basically is you make this capture so let's say you rolled a two and a three and your opponent's pawn is three spaces away. So you take your one pawn, you move three, you capture that pawn. Then what you have to do is you have to move your two with you know whatever other pawn you were gonna do. And then you get 20 to close out your turn. Now, if you cannot move the 20 spaces on that turn, you know, you don't you don't have enough real estate or someone's blocking you, or you just don't have it pawns on the board um then you forfeit that 20 spaces you can't like hold it on for for the next turn or whatever right so yeah and then so yeah that's the mechanic of captures yep. essentially and safety spaces are just a space if your pawn is on that space you can't be captured by right. any other pawn so right. and what happens if someone would land on the same space to are they unable to make that move yeah they cannot land on the safety space if your pawn is occupying it okay yep Got it. That's great. But they can move past it, unlike right, of course. a blockade, which we are going to talk about next. Uh, but real quickly, though, the safe spaces are 
designated by either a lotus flower on them or you know they're they're usually a different color real easy to pick out your instructions will be very clear on which spaces are safety spaces mm-hmm. um yeah and then of course each player has their home row uh which is the eight i think squares before home mm-hmm. and uh yeah if so if you're if your uh pawn is in that row it cannot be captured by anyone they can't move into your home row and take you for example Ooh, big problem here only seven 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 including one safe space on the end but that's for everyone one safe space on the end that everyone can use and then seven safe spaces which only you uh the player can use usually this is your same color but on some board games it's not it's just one uniform color so um so that's safety spaces. So yeah, if you're on a safety space, you can't be captured by your opponent. But if you if you roll doubles, if that's your farthest one out, you still have to move it back. So again, don't roll doubles three times in a row. <laughs> um, okay, now we're going to talk about blockades. So you are able to put two of your pawns on the same square or game space. Uh, no more than two, but up to two. So basically, if you've got two pawns on a game space nobody can capture those two pawns and nobody can move past those two pawns on the board including yourself including 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 your own pawns exactly so this has some strategic implications that we're going to talk about later but for now just know that's what a blockade is it's two of your same pawns on one space and you can't move say you were to get doubles you can't move both pieces up at the same time so that they would still be in a blockade. Exactly. Exactly. You can't just advance your blockade together because that would be no fun, apparently. Mm-hmm. So um, last thing is just home, uh, talking about getting a pawn into home. So once you advance a pawn into that area, uh, you get an extra 10 spaces. And in order, and again, if you can't move the 10 spaces with any of the pawns on the board, you forfeit it. Um, it doesn't come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one final note on home, you have to exactly get the right number in order to move your pawn into home. So if you're one square away and you get a two, no dice. Mm-mm. Well, two dice. Two dice. None uh, for you. No though. luck. <laughs> Except bad luck. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so now we can move on to I'm a little bit more that. strategy. Now that we've talked about the the rules that make Parcheesi what it is um, mm-hmm. and, and not just a simple, you know, it's what separates Parcheesi from Candyland. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of decisions that you're making uh, every turn, even though your your turn just depends on how well you roll dice, mm-hmm. right? You still have to decide which piece to move and how many and how many spaces to move it. So because you can either split your dice up between two different pieces that you have, or you can have one piece go the full, the sum of the two dice. So right. that's kind of what your strategy is going to be based on. That's that's where you're making your decisions. And so mm-hmm. the first thing we're going to talk about is kind of the power of the blockade and yeah. when to do it and when not to do it. So. Yeah. So uh, I, having not really read up on this subject, but just from personal experience, uh, think that uh, if your opponent uses a, uses a blockade, I kind of start to hate them a little bit. Um, it, it's, I can confirm this, yeah. If, if nothing else, it's just really annoying to your opponents that they can't move. However, uh, also in my personal experience, you, no blockade lasts forever. 
And uh, once you break up that blockade, especially if it has been um, you know, a thorn in the side of your opponents, I think they're going to be really eager to capture you if they get the chance after that. Even more eager than they always... Like, almost eager enough to maybe play a little bit irrationally for their own benefit at your expense. Right. Uh, so... And guess what? They're going to be very likely to capture you after you break a little blockade because they'll be pushed up against your blockade. Um, you'll have to break it up. From behind. Um, you have to break it up. You can't move both of them forward at the same time, which means either you're moving up both of your pieces by less than six, mm-hmm. which, as we'll talk about in a minute, is a danger zone. Yeah. Um, or, you'll move, or you're moving one of your pieces up by more than six, Hopefully, mm-hmm. <laughs> unless you roll right, <laughs> unless you roll poorly, um, right. But then you leave one piece right next to all of your opponent's pieces. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so basically, the takeaway here is, you only want to blockade when it's when it's getting you something substantial that is more than just like you know making your opponents angry because that can right. become come back to bite you. And one way in which this is true is. Let's say you have three pawns out on the board and you have the opportunity to make a blockade with your back two. And let's say that uh, all of your opponent's pawns are behind those back two of yours. So basically, if you do this blockade here with your back two, then your pawn in front, out in front, has a clear path unobstructed to home. Uh, you know, nobody can uh, come out and get in front of this guy or like get right behind this guy and, and be able to take him because, um, you know, they have to advance all the way around the board. Uh, and in order to do that, they would have to pass your blockade, which they can't. So um, if you give your own guy a free path, um, that's one reason to do a blockade. Yeah, because there's you can never underestimate how big it is to get one of your pieces into uh, you're safe seven square seven spaces. Right. That is just huge. You have the first person to do that has a huge advantage over everyone else. Not just in that they, you know, they've completed one phase of the game. Basically, mm-hmm. I mean, eventually they'll get that piece in unless they're mm-hmm. very unlucky. Whereas w- when your pieces are not safe, they could theoretically go around indefinitely. Mm-hmm. You know, your pieces right. could almost never make it in. Mm-hmm. Whereas once they're in the safe spaces, they're pretty much guaranteed to get in at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, again, unless unless you do the one in 200, roll three doublets in a row. Right. Um, so but it's yeah. almost, and, and even in this scenario, you know, anytime you do a blockade, you can think of it as sacrificing one of your right. pieces. Exactly. That's, I think, what you need to consider is, is, is it worth sacrificing one of my pieces to, um, to get one of my pieces in? Mm-hmm. And if you obviously, if the blockade isn't going to guarantee that you get one of your pieces to safety, it's probably not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unless you just happen to move those two, and for one turn they're there, and then maybe the next turn, like, you know, you're you're making a blockade, but you're not actually keeping it. Right. There's some weird. Yeah. There's there's some edge cases definitely. Yeah. Um, that you're gonna have to look at and say, okay, I might actually have a safe path here where you know things will work out. Mm-hmm. Also, in the case where um, you know there are, there are cases where you can move one of your blockade pieces up, uh, by you know seven or more, capture a piece, mm-hmm. and then move your other one up by twenty. So exactly. save both of your pieces at the same time. Yeah. So there are cases where it'll work out. 
But in general, I think you should be okay with sacrificing a piece every time you make a blockade. Yeah. Or, in t- or every time you keep a blockade for several turns. Right, exactly. So, so in other words, you shouldn't make a blockade unless you're okay with sacrificing a piece. And, you know, for me, like, basically the only reason I would ever do that is if I knew that I was going to definitely get one of my pawns into home or into my safe space. Even in the scenario, so take, say, you're, say you're behind, another player has two pieces already in home, mm. but you have the opportunity to block both of their other pieces with your blockade, but it won't get you anything else. Sure. There are also other people's pieces behind your blockade. Right. You know, so there's a chance that the winning player pieces get captured. Right. While they're sitting behind your blockade. Yep. Is it worth it at that point? Um, I mean, I think it, it, it depends on a lot of things, but it, it could be worth it. I mean, I, I think if you have, like, if you have other pieces on the board, I mean, I, mean, I, su- I suppose you're... You're saying like maybe you don't have other pieces that are, you don't have that any. Are to, they're about to go to home, right? I suppose if you just allow this winning player's pieces to be taken, you gain yourself valuable time, and so you have to ask yourself, is that worth sacrificing a piece? Um, I think it's affected by like where your own pieces are on the board, how close they are to home. So another another thing we want to talk about is like how. Distance to home makes a difference in things and uh, your decisions, but uh, we can get to that later. What do you right. think? So my my thinking is that it would really depend on whether you see, um, whether you see the winning player's piece getting captured in a few turns. So mm-hmm. if you think that other players' pieces would start to pile up on your blockade first mm-hmm. with the with the, you know, we'll call them player X, with player X's yeah. piece getting their last uh-huh. and having less of a chance of getting captured, I don't think it's worth it. I think you're yeah. you're doing this blockade to achieve a certain goal. Right. You're risking that it'll happen. Sure. But you don't want to make a bad bet. You know, you don't want to bet right. on something that's not likely to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely, like, if, if the winning player's pieces, like, so everybody's pieces are behind your pieces, right? But if the winning player's pieces are behind the other player's pieces, then you don't want to blockade because then the winning player's pieces are likely the ones that end up still on the board at the end of this and in prime position to take yours rather than um, the other way around. The other way around. So, and again, like I, I think there is maybe a little bit of a human element here. Um, right. Because like, so... like I said earlier, um, I think if you're really pissed off that somebody's blocking your pieces, then once they break that blockade, even if you maybe have a better move, if you have the opportunity to take one of their pieces, you might just do it out of spite. Um, you know, because again, like you're you're not playing against robots, you're playing against humans, just like you know, common theme uh, throughout a lot of our podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think if if the players uh, are more appreciative of the fact that you just blocked the winning player's pieces from advancing, then they might be a little bit less vindictive against you and probably be more likely to play rational, which means they might end up taking you, but they won't take you just out of spite. Right. Um, you know, most likely. I mean, some some people are just jerks, but... Uh, right, so then that's yeah. one thing you gain is that if you... If other players in the game are aware mm-hmm. that you're making this blockade so that you can take down the top player. Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to win some favor. Mm-hmm. You might even be able to get people to not take you. Right. Just 
out of being nice right. if it were you know if it, if it works out and you know the other players don't lose too much time whatever obviously if you keep them behind your blockade forever they're probably going to be pissed regardless of yeah what happens in the game but you can turn these things to your advantage exactly if you're working the people in the room yeah exactly exactly and it's, it's almost kind of like a, a gentleman's strategy almost if, if that's even a thing right yeah so any anything else on blockades no, I think that's I think that about covers it. Cool. Okay, so now we have a fun part, and we're going to talk more in depth about captures. And when um, he says fun, um, oh, it depends talking, on what side you're coming from. He's talking <laughs> about stats. Um, I think stats are fun. And we think stats are fun. Yeah. Uh, most people probably don't. Um, just safe bet there, I yeah. think. Sure. But we'll try to give it to you in the most entertaining way possible. Exactly. In the way that tells you how to win. Exactly. So... So yeah. even if even if you don't think stats are fun, you should still listen because if you're listening to this podcast at all, you probably think games are fun and that and winning games is even more is fun. fun. So the stats that we will give you right now uh, will be in a nice digestible format that you can apply toward your game winning strategy in the future. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, go ahead. All right. So the main the main. Uh, Statistics that you're going to employ in this game is your knowledge of the double dice roll and the ability to split dice. So mm-hmm. um, it's very easy to look up. Uh, you just look up, you know, table of two consecutive dice rolls and you'll be able to see a nice square table um, of every pair, every possible pair. Every pair is equally likely. Uh, and so from this table, you can... Get so all in, sorts. You can so in, so. In other words, um, you are equally likely to roll a two and a four um, at the same time as you are, for example, a three, three and, a and a four, or a three and a five, or right. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, stop me if I use any lingo or go too fast. But yeah. um, basically, we can know how likely it is for you to get any die, any combination of dice, and therefore how likely you are to make certain moves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Through this, we can figure out which spaces are the most safe. Now, the easiest example, or like the most simple example is um, to think about how likely are you to be able to get a piece out of your starting area. Right. So to do this, you have to roll five or uh, or a combination that adds up to five. Now, the table that we have would suggest that your probability of doing so is <laughs> roughly... Four plus 11 over 36. So 15 over 36, mm-hmm. which is a little bit less than half. Yep. Um, so on any given turn, you're a little bit less than 50% like chance, or likely. Yeah, it's five twelfths. Yeah, yeah. And so um, any any for any role, you're, you know... You're going to get a piece out every two or three turns is yep. what you should expect. So that's one thing to keep keep in mind. Um, another thing to keep in mind is that certain – like say you're trying to capture a, a piece mm-hmm. or conversely, you're in front of your opponent's piece and you want to know how far in front to be to be safe. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, the most that someone can go in nor- under normal circumstances um, is 12. So if you're, pa- if you're more than 12 spaces ahead, great, mm-hmm. you're probably safe. Yep. Now, I would also not want to be 14 spaces ahead because there is a 1-6 chance that they roll doubles. 
yeah. doublets, Double, in which yeah. case they could take you with their 14 spaces. Sure. So, but we're just going to consider, you know, how far away do you want to be? One space to 12 spaces. Yep. If you're in this danger zone, where do you want to be? Um, now, what the table tells us is that you do not want to be within six spaces. Right. Because not only can they use the sum of their dice, but they can also use individual die to, to, to get you. Whereas if you're seven or more spaces away, they have to add up their dice to take you. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So in other words, if you're six spaces away and they roll you know, a four and a six, they can take you. But they can also take you if they roll a four and a two or a one and a five. Etc. So if you look at the table, it, it makes it really clear. But basically, if you're six spaces away, um, you know, the chance that they are able to take you on the next turn is almost one half. Right. 16 out of 36. Yeah. So you do not want to be six spaces away. However, if you're setting up to take a piece, you really do want to be six spaces away. Oh, yeah. And this also comes in handy when you're trying to get home. So if you're if you have the opportunity to move... Uh, to split your dice, move one of your pieces so that it's six spaces away from home, mm-hmm. and then move another piece forward uh, somewhere else on the board, you should probably do so because that, that'll give you the, the highest chance of, of putting that piece into home earlier. Yep. And cashing in on your 10 spaces. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of what the, where the probability of rolling comes in. It's all about setting, setting yourself up for success and failure by knowing how likely your opponents are to roll what they need to roll. Yeah. It doesn't take too much math, but just uh, general rules go that getting moving your piece up one to six spaces is more likely than moving, or is like... Having the opportunity to move one to six spaces. Yeah, right. it's yeah. going to come up a lot more often than having an opportunity to move your piece seven or more spaces. Right. Um, and also, there's kind of an inverse thing. So So... It's, you're more likely to be able to move your piece six spaces than you mm-hmm. are to move it one space. Right. And it kind of descends, and it descends on either side of six or seven. Right. So basically, if a, if a piece is one square away from yours, uh, you're pretty likely that is like 11 out of 36, right? Mm-hmm. 11 out of 36 to take it. Uh, if they're two spaces away, that increases to 12, 12 out of 36. 36. Three spaces, 13 out of 36. Etc. And then when you get to six, you're like 16 out of 36, um, like chance to take that piece on the on the next turn. In contrast, when you get up to seven, that drops off sharply to I think uh, one out of six to one out of six, and then you know eight away is five uh, out of five out of 36. Um, then nine is four out of 36, etc. So. Basically, from one to six, your odds increase, um, you know, with with the increasing dice, and then they drop off, and then uh, from seven to twelve, uh, they decrease. Right. Yeah. So and ba- so, yeah. so basically, getting out of that one to six range is probably the most important thing if you're thinking about how not to be taken on the next turn. Right. If you have to be within the one and six range, mm-hmm. you should pick one. Yeah, or the lower one. The low, yeah, the lowest, the yeah. closest you can be. Mm-hmm. Um, if you and that's well, and that is debatable too because you'll be closer for next turn as well. Sure. Um, yeah. But 
in general, if you're thinking about just, am I going to get captured next turn? You want to be closer to them. Mm-hmm. However, if you have to be, you know, anywhere from one or 12 spaces in front of someone, you mm-hmm. want to be 12 spaces in front of them yeah. or the high or the right. highest above seven. Yeah. In other words, like moving from six to eight is more important than like, you know, moving from eight to 10. Right. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Okay. So any, anything else we want to talk about on captures? Uh, maybe, maybe like relative value of keep taking an opponent's piece versus keeping your own piece. Right. Yeah. So I think you've done a bit more thinking about this than I have. Um, and the idea is, uh, weighing this, um, advantage of getting 20 spaces and knocking someone back with the other things that you could do with your turn yeah yeah so basically when you think about capturing um so yes it is very nice that you get the 20 extra spaces it's very alluring yeah yeah very alluring to the point where like you know in in my experience i think it's very rare to see somebody who's able to do a capture who doesn't end up doing that capture mm-hmm. uh and you know to be fair, 20, 20 spaces is like a lot, right? And the important thing to think about is when you take a piece, or a pawn rather, you're taking the pawn of one of your three opponents. So yes, like anywhere from two to four players can play, but most typically you have four players. Um, so you have three opponents, and when you take a pawn, you punish one of your three opponents. And and you get 20 spaces, but basically, if you take a piece and you end up in, like, a bad position, in other words, let's say, let's say you have one pawn that's six squares away from another player's pawn, and you have another pawn um, that, you know, with your current role can take a different opponent's pawn, or maybe even the same one, um... I think it's much better uh, and, you know, strategically to get the vulnerable pawn of yours to safety than to take that one opponent's pawn. And, you know, may, maybe not because maybe, maybe you can move that pawn out uh, with the 20 spaces. But let's, let's say you can't. Let's say you're closer to your home than 20 spaces away and, you know, you're choosing move this guy or, or take this guy. And so, um, yeah, basically keeping your own pawn on the board, like for sure, is much better for you than removing one of your opponent's pawns from the board. Because after all, you're only punishing one of your three opponents. But then if you like, if you leave yourself open to be taken, you're not, it's not one for one. It's like one third for one essentially because you're taking one from only one of your three opponents and you're losing one sort of to all of your three opponents right and so i well, i think that that it should just be pointed out that maybe our our uh analogies will be a bit clumsy mm-hmm. um because the game has to do so much with how many spaces with yeah. numbers of spaces and that's just hard to describe neatly um in words but you know what Dan's trying to capture is that positioning is everything Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost maybe better to think of it as, um, you know, say you, you have, 
you have one safe pawn that can capture. You have one pawn that is in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, that will still be in danger if you capture. Yeah. You know. Right. In this case, you should probably um, you should probably pass on the capture mm-hmm. and get and prioritize the safety of your pawn. Right. One because, you know, given that your your pawn won't be able to make it to safety after the capture, that means it's probably close to to home. Right. It means it's a very valuable pawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, it's just a, this idea of playing a um, playing a longer, slow game, uh, playing it safe, because as we said earlier, if you play risky, you're likely to play the game indefinitely. Right. And almost, you know, not ever make any progress. You know, you have a very small chance of making progress, but you have a very large chance of being knocked back to where you started. Mm-hmm. And so I think what Dan is really trying to bring up with his argument is that flashy moves are not always going to be the best. Um, right. And that it might be boring, but prioritizing your mm-hmm. safety should should come over uh, getting the most squares imme- immediately. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you said it best with prioritize the safety of your own pawns. Because um, obviously, maybe it's the case that with your safe pawn that can take, you take, and then you move your other pawn to safety with 20 squares. Um, but like, you know, maybe that 20 squares puts it like six squares or like within six squares from a different piece that can take it. So, so yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not a cut and dry thing. Like you should always take, or you should always move your vulnerable pawn away. But like, you know, in general, you should prioritize the safety of your own pawns mm-hmm. um, over the, yeah, the number of squares you gain by capturing a different pawn. Right, like getting 20 squares um, does not necessarily improve your position. Right. It Sometimes you, you have to use it if you can, if mm-hmm. I'm correct. Yeah. Um, so it might end up putting, might end up being so that you have to put a piece that's safe into a bad position. Exactly. And that's not worth it. No. Um, exactly. In general, I mean, of course, you just, if you're just feeling really risky, then you go ahead. But I don't think that it's optimal strategy. Yeah. I mean, odds are like, you know, over the long haul, it's it's going to be a losing strategy. Right. You know, you're going to you're going to be burned more often than you burn someone by doing that. Right. Yeah. 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 And this is also and this, this is a side note is that you might want to adapt a more risky strategy if you're coming from behind. Exactly. Um, right. But. If it's an even state or even like slightly skewed still, I would I think it's just best to play it safe because the game's yep. pretty tumultuous. It goes up and down yep. uh, at the tip of a hat. Um, you know, someone could be doing great until they can't get their final piece out of the starting area for six turns and, yeah, and exactly. you know, the tables have turned. It's yep. The, that's just what happens. Yeah. So, so be in it for the long haul. Uh, don't be flashy unless it makes sense. Unless it's your only yeah. way to win. Yeah. Unless it's like someone else has a very clear and unless you're on a time crunch. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I have to win in fifteen or so turns or else I will lose. Yeah. Then you make a move like that. But Yep, yep, exactly. Um cool. So any anything else we want to say about captures? No, I don't think that's I think that's all right. All right. 
Well, now let's let's talk about a uh, hot button issue in today's <laughs> political climate. Let's talk about safe spaces. Oh, oh, bringing politics into it. I see. All right. So more more specifically, uh, the rules, at least that we have, call them safety spaces. Safety. So um, these are the spaces that are marked with, like I said earlier, the lotus flower or you know the slightly different coloring. Maybe they're blue or orange, and the rest of the squares are just white. Uh, Anyway, uh, they are, they appear on either side of your home row uh, and uh, right at the bottom of the home row. And then each player has their own safety space, uh, which is where they enter their pawns onto the board. And this, and that safety space is different than the rest. Because if someone else has their piece, that safety space is essentially only safety for you. Only safe for you. Well, not necessarily. Let me just explain. It works the same as a regular safety space. However, if someone else is on your the safety space in front of your starting area and mm-hmm. you need to enter a pawn, yep. then you may. Yep. And you get to capture the piece that was on the safety space. Exactly. And do you get the 20? You do get the 20. Okay. Yep. So, uh, really... I mean, we we can talk more about this if you want, but you probably don't want to use your opponent's, um, like, the safety space in front of your opponent's start unless they don't have any pawns in and, you know, are unlikely to get any pawns uh, knocked back into their starting space um, in the current turn or in the near future. And if you put a blockade out, they're unable to enter a pawn, yes? If you put a blockade on that space... Yeah, I believe that is true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you've so you've got that. Um, that's a that's a little carrot that um, you know maybe maybe you do want to use that space if you have the opportunity to put a blockade there. But again, keep in mind everything we said about blockades. You know, it's you have you have to have something greater in mind than just blocking you know, their entrance, making making this person really mad. <laughs> because guess what? As soon as you. Uh... As soon as you move your blockade, they're guaranteed to have pieces that are ready to come out. Exactly. And they will be behind you, naturally. So, yeah, you're you're really rolling the dice mm-hmm. if you do that. But, you know, if they have three guys in home, then maybe you do want to do that. Right. Um, okay. So um, let's talk about the safety spaces that are not in, uh, in front of your opponent's starting spots. Mm-hmm. So my general impression on these is uh, it's it's generally good to have your pawn on a safe space and uh, you don't really want to move your pawn off of a safe space if you're if you don't have to mm-hmm. um, and even better like if you if you stay put long enough then somebody might have the misfortune of moving in front of you or having to move in front of you in which case uh, they might be easy pickings on your next turn and then gain you a big um a big 20 piece cap 20 square capture bonus. Uh however, uh it you know again, it's all about positioning and so um this is more or less important depending on your opponent's pawns that are around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. This is I mean I I really don't have any anything to add to that. I think just the idea that if you are able to get onto a safe space, you mm-hmm. want to hold on to that thing oh, yeah. for as long as you can. Yep. Um, or at least until you have a better move. And by better move, I mean 
a capture that puts you mm-hmm. in safety. So, yeah. so because if you if you sit there long enough, people will pass you. You'll you'll get opportunities to capture. Yeah. Um, the only problem is you can't sit there forever. Yeah, obviously you're gonna have to move at some point. Uh, so usually uh, an opportunity to do something cool, you know, will probably come up before like that's your last pawn on the board and you're forced to move it. But you know, again, that as well depends on the position. And if nobody is around you on that safe space, you might as well try and venture forward, maybe get to the next safety space. Right. If, um, you know, depending on, on what, what you're doing with the, the rest of your pawns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you can advance your, your, your piece safely, I guess there is not really as much of a reason to keep it on, on right. the safe space. Um, mm-hmm. But if there's anyone in the vicinity, even within a couple turns, I would say, mm-hmm. two or three turns yeah. around you, um, it's probably best to wait until you can advance it to the next safe space. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, unless we had any more to, to say on that, which I don't think we do, um, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about splitting. Uh, so do you want to take this one? Right. So I think that really this is kind of blended into mm-hmm. what we've talked about before. It's all about positioning. Um, but I think that a big part of this game is that you have to make decisions. There's going to be, there's going to come a time where you can't keep all of your pieces safe. Yep. Right. And so I think this kind of applies to splitting pieces, um, you know, and I like to get your opinion on this, but, but I would say is that, um, you know, we've talked about having a play it safe strategy, but there's multiple kinds of play it safe strategies. And I would say that, it's best to use your dice uh, in a way that keeps one of your pieces completely safe mm-hmm. and maybe risks the other yeah. than leaving both of them in the lurch, but not as much. Hmm. So uh, I, I would okay. say almost an all or nothing, keeping yeah. your pieces safe. Sure. So when it comes to splitting or you know moving all the way, I, I think your choice should be that it shouldn't be preserve the greatest amount of safety for the greatest number. <laughs> Yeah. It should be mm-hmm. preserve the like if you have the opportunity to preserve ultimate safety for one piece, mm-hmm. do it. So really like preserve the least possible number of um of pawns in immediate danger. Maybe not the least possible, but uh, but preserve your first preserve the first pawn that you'll or the the first pawn that you'll move the most that you can. Hmm. And if that requires moving using both of your dice do it hmm interesting so um so what if let's say you have two pawns uh on separate areas of the board that are both say four spaces away from the nearest enemy pawn and the nearest enemy pawn is behind you so um pretty likely you know, maybe maybe like a one-third to a one-half chance of being taken the next turn. Mm-hmm. And let's say you roll a three and a four. Okay. No, yeah. So so um like maybe that's maybe that's not a good example. Okay. Say they're they're six squares away instead. Uh so they're really in the danger zone. Yeah, right. So so basically, um, yeah, they're both really in the danger zone. And you have a three and a four. So do you move 
one of these guys seven spaces, so now it's 13 spaces away and out of the danger zone. Um, or do you move both of these, like, so one, three away, so now it's nine away. So you've crossed that, you know, initial threshold of like six spaces away, and now you're in the seven to 12, less dangerous range. Um, and then the other, the other one, you move four forward, so now it's 10. Right. So do you... So, and that's like, exactly the kind of scenario I was thinking of. Um, so, so you th- you think it's better to move the one seven, the fr- whichever one's further up, I would move seven. Okay, because I have a I have a hard time saying I wouldn't split it, because if you have, like, let's let's just call this a half for for example. So you have you have two pieces that are both six spaces you know away, which means they have a sixteen and thirty six chance of being taken. Like right. each one of them does, and so like the the inverse of that is like so you have like a what twenty five percent chance roughly that they'll both be taken, uh, but if you move one if you move one away, well, and that's more complicated yeah, it's, because it's more complicated. Uh, that's a Okay. You can't really narrow it down because there's so much other stuff going on. But I get what you're saying is there's a chance of them both being taken if you do nothing. If you do nothing, right? But but like if you so if you move one away, you have a you have a half of chance of them taking one. Mm-hmm. If you move them both, then you have a what what's the nine like a four and thirty six chance a one ninth chance of that one being taken, and then a one like what three and thirty six so one twelfth chance of the other one being taken and right. if you add if you add those together it's much less than one half in fact it's less than a quarter and then multiplying it by two um you know your your expected loss is lower if you do that right no so, so are you making a case that you shouldn't that you should not um play based on your expected loss i think that the Scenario you're describing only looks one turn into the future. Mm. Um, if you move, okay. if you split your dice, you're you're likely to be chased on both sides. Mm. At which point, they will be able to maintain six spaces, or mm, roughly, um, they yeah. will be able to maintain the same odds or, or pursue you. Mm. Whereas if you put both dice into the same piece, you have the chance of outrunning them. Okay. Um, which that so that's one reason why I would make the decision that I do. Another reason is that I think, just kind of going off what we talked about earlier, I'd rather have. I'd rather have, one, piece in safe in in my home row, hmm. and one piece in the starting area than having hmm. two pieces in decent position. Okay. I uh, I just think, I think that especially early game. Mm-hmm. Giving a putting a piece back in your starting area is not a big deal, right? Yeah, it'll get back out. I mean, you got to do something with those fives, right? right? So, but having a piece guaranteed to not enter your starting area again is huge. It's huge, right? Yeah. So that's why I think it, it's a uh, it's one of those things where the probability does fail us because we're obviously not going to look two or three turns in the future right. with it. And obviously, if you really wanted to, you you actually could do the math of looking in like two, three, four ad infinitum turns into the future. And right. like, you know, I'm sure there are people who have done that, but 
we are not those people. And I don't recommend it. Yeah, honestly, you have much better ways to spend your time. Exactly. Um, but like, you know, in a pinch, like, you know, the the simple math that we're going through, um, you know, looking one, maybe two turns into the future is like should be plenty to, to play against your friends or your kids. Right. <laughs> uh, which is why we're doing this. So, yeah. So and I, you know, I, I don't mean to say I that my opinion is how it should be played. I, I to be honest with you. I've just come to that conclusion, you know, during the duration of this podcast. Yeah. Um, but I think that I would, that's how I would play it and I would see how it goes. Um, but I just think the idea of, of, um, you know, you're, I just think you're better off preserving the one a lot mm-hmm. than yeah. preserving both of them a decent amount. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, well, we are almost out of time. I mean, technically speaking, we're we're probably over time, uh, mm-hmm. but who's counting? Uh, so I think we're going to wrap up. I hope this guide has, has helped you um, in playing Parcheesi, you know, knowing a little bit more about the danger zone. Yep. Um, knowing a little bit more about when and when not to blockade. Um, knowing the rules. Yeah, <laughs> so you're not that's huge. Playing poor, playing incorrectly. And just knowing that not always to take the bait and not always to capture someone. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, lots of good takeaways here. Uh, so we hope that next time you play Parcheesi with your family or friends or kids, uh, that you apply these rules. And, uh, you know, we can't guarantee that you'll win the first game. But uh, like we said, over time, uh, you should do better sure. than if you didn't know them and apply them. So uh, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, Best of luck in your future gaming. And we will see you next time. Yeah, see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of How to Beat Your Kids at Board Games. We hope you enjoyed it and that you learned something. We always do. If you like our show, please tell your friends and be sure to rate or review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by typing our acronym, H-T-B-Y-K-A-B-G, in the search bar. If you have questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions for games you'd like us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at htbykabg at gmail.com or message us on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.